1989, I discovered an, an uncle. I didn't think you could do that, but that's exactly what happened. My uh, great, great uncle chose to reveal himself. He had, at a young age, uh, ran away from home. My ancestor had his wife die, of which this uncle was uh, uh, a child of, married my future, or my ancestor, and he didn't like her. Thought she was wild. <laughs> and so, ran away. Ulysses Tootin ran away. And it may be of no surprise that after he ran away, he changed his name. Uh, didn't like Ulysses Tootin anymore. Went by the name Thomas Hicks. He uh, found someone, uh, rode on a train, and uh, somewhere along the way, he got adopted by a, a man by the last name Hicks and Ended up in California, was involved in World War II, was there in Pearl Harbor, uh, there in some of the leadership uh, where when Pearl Harbor was bombed, and well into his 80s. And uh, along the way in his life, as he got older, he'd maybe have these birthdays and wonder about his biological family, where they were at. And as he was getting to the end of his life, he had a, a growing curiosity of who this biological family was and, and what's happened to them. Just as a kind of perhaps maybe answering questions that he himself has as he was facing death. And, and so he inquired into the Teutons of Charleston, South Carolina, which he uh, knew the family was at. And there came across one of my uh, great uncles. And there they arranged a meeting. My grandmother, my great aunt, and my great uncle. All got together and their spouses. In 1989, they arranged a meeting place in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, to meet someone they've never seen before, but somehow would think that they would recognize this man. And sure enough, they did. He said, you know, it looked a lot like their daddy, my great-granddad. And so they came back and told us about it. And so in 1989, my family took a trip to California and visited Thomas Hicks, his Son, John Hicks, and then their grandchildren that were a little bit older than myself. And it was kind of a weird thing. Right? You just, you don't think, I, I didn't know there was another great uncle out there. And all of a sudden, 1989, bam, not only do you have a great uncle, he's still alive and you can see him. But really. And so we went there and we looked at their faces. You know, we had their address and we just studied their faces as well as they studied ours and seeing, is there anything of similarity? And I could see, especially in uh, his son, the eyes that look like my grandmother and the face that looked back at me. I thought, yeah, there's family here. There's biological connection here. There's no, there's nothing of our life that's similar. They're from California, grew up in California all, basically all their life, and there's no real similarity, but we see it in their eyes. It's a, it a wondrous reunion. I think that may have identified some of the thoughts some of the actions that takes place in Genesis chapter 45 when Joseph is reunited with his brothers over 25 years and he has seen his brothers. He knows who they are. He's testing their character to see if they've changed, but they yet do not know who he is. 
And in Genesis chapter 45, after a wondrous repentance expression by Judah, it, I believe, prompts Joseph into confession. It had been over a year. He had not yet confessed. And I don't think he intended to unless he saw repentance. And there at this repentance, he reveals that he is their family. You can imagine how they looked at each other, looked at the lines in their faces and see, is that really Joseph? I mean, he was just 17 years old. And Joseph would have looked at his brothers and thought, man, they've not aged well. Or I didn't know they would lose hair. Or yeah, they look like me and Benjamin. Look at him. He was just a baby. And now he's 25. So you can imagine just the, the emotions that were being swept up in this moment in Genesis 45. And this is, uh, well, the happy ending we've been looking for as we've been studying his life, seeing the adversity, betrayal uh, that's come his way, the false accusations being forgotten. And now it's the happy ending. And so it's, it's a, with rejoicing we read this, but it's, I believe it is a story of reconciliation. It is a story of forgiveness. We will learn about forgiveness primarily in this passage, but forgiveness has already taken place in chapter 45. It's already done. What we're doing is seeing the effects of forgiveness and that it brings and leads to a reconciliation along with repentance. And so we're going to learn some powerful things here. And I, there's so much to learn about forgiveness. If you, if you have ever dealt uh, with an issue of uh, someone hurting you because of their sin. This is a passage you need to study and meditate. And I assure you, one of the hardest things that you will deal with is the sin of other people. And they will do things unknowingly, it seems, and it will change your life forever. And it can cripple you. It can kill you. It can kill your loved ones. It can hurt them. And that will be something you have to deal with. The sin of someone else. And so you must learn how to deal with this. Joseph did. And so as we read this passage, there's a couple things I want you to learn. First of all, you need to learn this. That before there was reconciliation, there was repentance. Write that down. There must be repentance before reconciliation. Repentance precedes reconciliation. Okay? But, get this. Forgiveness precedes repentance. Forgiveness precedes repentance. You see, one of the things we're tempted to say is, I will not forgive them until they're sorry. I will not forgive them until they confess their sins. I will not forgive them until I see justice come to them. But we'll see in this story that Joseph did not take that approach. He forgave them before they ever repented. Okay? That's important. And so, let's, uh, knowing this, let's read Genesis chapter 45. It's a beautiful passage. We'll read verses 1 through 28. And so as we read this together, because this is the word of God, we're reading it together as God's family. Let's stand in honor of this passage. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph, he could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? 
But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. Therefore I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you've seen, hurry and bring my father down here. He fell upon his brother's Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe him. But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of the father revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. You may be seated. I'm presenting to you the argument that forgiveness has occurred before the reconciliation of this chapter. Before chapter 45, verse 1, before the confession, there was already forgiveness in Joseph's heart. You may ask, well, why do you present that point? Well, let me just state it this way. Look at the argument. Joseph has had an encounter with the brothers for over a year now. He has been in the position of power. Uh, he, without them knowing it was him. If there was still vengeance in his heart, if there was still hatred in his heart, I would just present to you that it would be normal course for Joseph to have already executed his brothers by now. All right? If not executed, at least made their life very miserable. But we see instead that it, Joseph instead has been giving them things, gave them all this food, gave them the money back. 
Uh, and that the, the, the challenges he's put before them are to test their character, not to give vengeance. In fact, we've seen not only the compassion and lack of vengeance, we've seen uh, in moments of uh, in this narrative of compassion of Joseph, where every once in a while there will be some confession of Judah or someone else, where he will say, let me just back away, and he would cry. The compassion that was still in his heart that is not the bitterness of hatred of unforgiveness, but instead the tenderness of love there. The other uh, third reason I would present to you that Joseph has already forgiven them is what the text says regarding Pharaoh. It's interesting after this reaction of Joseph and what he says will happen. Then it talks about Pharaoh. You wonder why why is Moses, the the writer of this book, bringing the uh, reaction of Pharaoh. Well, one, it tells how much Pharaoh respects Joseph and whatever Joseph loves, Pharaoh loves. But also, not only does it tell them that they're on the same page, but it also reveals something about what Joseph has not been saying. Notice that when we read uh, verse 16, Joseph is pleased, or Pharaoh is pleased that Joseph's brothers are there. If Pharaoh had known what Joseph knew. And Joseph told him and said, you know what, God, Pharaoh? Let me tell you why I'm here. I have a bunch of good-for-nothing brothers that betrayed me and sold me into slavery. Uh, and that was a compromise instead of killing me. How do you think Pharaoh would have reacted if he got word that Joseph's brothers were there? Instead of having vengeance and say, you know what, you didn't have justice then, I'm going to give it now. Instead, there is pleasure. That tells me that Joseph, up to this point, is not broadcasting the sins of his brothers. In fact, when he's with the chief baker and the butler in prison, he's appealing to them to say a good word for him, to get him out of prison. He doesn't tell them uh, that, look at what my brothers did. He just said that he was there in prison unjustly and brings no accusation to his brothers. Isn't that interesting? He is not needing the condemnation of others. One of the signs of unforgiveness in our heart is that when someone does wrong to us, we quickly share it with someone else so that we can fill the court of public opinion, condemn the one who sinned against us. Is that something we do not do? I mean, I sense that in my own life, there's a tendency to say, I don't want to be alone in my anger toward this person. Hey, let me tell you, do you know what so-and-so did? Let me tell you what they did. And we'll, we'll build a story out, and we will wait on their anger and condemnation. And so, when we are forgiving someone, we no longer bring them uh, for the condemnation of peers. We no longer seek that satisf- satisfaction. We are forgiving them. And so I just want to bring to your attention that if that is something that's going on in your life, you have a tendency to, to bring out the sins of others to before someone else and seeking their condemnation, it is a sign of unforgiveness. And by the way, your goal is reconciliation. Even though you may not want it or feel it, that is something God is going to be working and it is so much harder to do when you're telling everybody about the sins of someone. And think about it. Joseph did that with Pharaoh. You know how hard it would be to have reconciliation with his brothers? He's going to have to persuade Pharaoh that these guys aren't bad. And forever, Pharaoh's view of the brothers are colored. And so I just present to you that forgiveness has already occurred. Joseph is not having to think about it when he hears the repentance of uh, in Genesis chapter 44, verse 28. He no longer is thinking about the repentance of 
uh, Judah and thinking, I wonder if I'm really going to forgive him. But we find that it's instead an instant reaction. That In verse 3, 4, he says, that's what I wanted to hear. Let me now do something. I'm going to reconcile because forgiveness has always been there. I just wanted to see if repentance was in your life before I carried on with reconciliation. And so uh, we see that. And I just want to present that to you as an argument. Now, Let's look in the text and we, we follow the scene here. It's a beautiful scene. You know, Joseph, he cannot control himself. And so he, he's, he's going to cry. He knows he's going to cry. He says, this is going to be a bad scene, guys. You, and he tells the, the, the Egyptian servants, get away. I want to be just me and my brothers. Now, he's not telling the guys to go away because he doesn't want to hear them cry. Because we find in just a little bit, he cries so loud. Not only does all his household hear it. Pharaoh's house hears it, all right? That's the kind of loud cry that if you were doing that, I mean, the preschoolers would, and the babies would be crying because you're crying because they hear you. I mean, that's a loud cry. And so it's not necessarily a uh, a lack of, you know, I, I just want to keep the secret. <laughs> but I think that what he's doing is he's going to bring up something that he doesn't want the Egyptian servants to hear, and that is the sin of the brothers. And so he says, you guys get away. So no one stayed with them. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, so the Egyptians heard it, household heard it, of Pharaoh. And Joseph said, I believe this is the first time he speaks in Hebrew. Up to this point, he's been speaking Egyptian, using a translator to hold his disguise. But now he says in Hebrew, and it, I mean, it shocks these guys. And he says, I am Joseph. Or, ya ni Yosafe. They were shocked. Speaking in Hebrew, and he's saying he's Joseph. And then the very next thing he says, he he asked the question that's no doubt been on his heart: Is my father still alive? Now, what would you do if you were Reuben, if you were Judah, Simeon? The last thing you said to Joseph that you knew at the time was Joseph was, okay. 30 pieces of silver. That's good. Take him away. He's yours. We don't want Joseph. We sell him to you. And that was a compromise so that they wouldn't kill him. That's the last thing he said. Now, now they're standing before this man in power. And they're already freaking out because the man in power is bringing condemnation to him because someone stole the silver cup. And they have pledged themselves to be slaves to this man. And lo and behold, this man happens to be the long lost brother that you sold. Now that's not good. Alright? So, what do they do? Well, what does the Bible say? They didn't answer. Because they couldn't speak. Because they were dismayed. They were like, oh no. It's going to hit us now. But notice, Joseph discerns this. Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. That word come near, that, that, not, not gosh, it's, it's not just a, a physical proximity, but it is an intimacy, an emotional proximity. I want you near me. Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said it again, I am your brother, Joseph. Now look, look what it says here in verse 4. Whom you sold into Egypt. Now, when he said that, he let the cat out of the bag. 
Because the brothers hadn't been telling anybody about what they did to Joseph. You remember, even when they were telling the, what, this man who was Joseph, they didn't know it was Joseph. They said, oh yeah, we had one other brother, but he's no more. An animal took him. They told Jacob the same thing. It's their lie. It is a secret they've been telling one another. Or, and then no one's talked about it anymore. And this guy knows exactly what they did. You sold. You didn't You didn't know animals killed Joseph. I know what you did because I'm Joseph. You sold me into slavery. And proved beyond a shadow of doubt that this was the one. And now he says, do not be distressed or anger with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Underline that part there. You sold me here for God sent me. Is that that within one phrasing, two phrases there shows God's sovereignty. You sold me. God sent me. On one side is the sin of mankind, an evil, heinous thing. On the other side is God's sovereignty that is in charge even of that. But what he did is he called it what it was. He said, you sinned. In fact, in Genesis chapter 50, you, he kind of rephrases it. It came back up decades later after this moment. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says this. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Let me just share with you. We are, we're seeing something that's going on in Joseph's life that reveals forgiveness. How can we forgive? First, we must know something. Forgiveness must see the nature of the act. Forgiveness must see the nature of the act. And that's what Joseph is doing. You sold me. You meant evil. It was and is sin. You know what our tendency is? Our tendency is to say... It's okay. It's no big deal. Isn't that the kind of the, the... When someone apologizes to us, that is our most common... It's no big deal. <laughs> but you, you know that's a lie. It is a big deal. We just don't know how to deal with sin with someone else. And so we excuse sin. They couldn't help it. You know, they, they didn't know. They just don't know it better. Uh, you know, surely it wasn't intended. It was an accident. When you know good and well, it wasn't an accident. For us to forgive someone, we got to avoid the trap of excusing them. Excusing them is, does not bring healing. It just covers it up for a little while for it to rot in your soul. Okay? So, there must be calling it what it is. And that is what Joseph does. He said, it was evil. It was sin. You sold me. You betrayed me. Okay? And so, if you want to forgive someone, you must see the nature of the act. But that very next phrase, but God, brings up the second truth. Forgiveness must see God as bigger than the act. Forgiveness must see God as bigger than the act. He says, yeah, you did this, but God sent me. God used the evil the, the, the sin, the heinous nature of this. But God was bigger than that and somehow twisted it so that it became a good thing. It is acknowledgement that God is bigger than your sin. And that is what Joseph is saying here. Is that God did something amazing here. 
God sent me, you see, in verse 5, before you to preserve life and explained how this was to be. Not only did it preserve his life, preserve the life of, of the brothers, of Jacob, of the family, the, the blessed tribe that God had given in Genesis 12, these that one day the Messiah would come from, as well as all of the earth. God used him as a savior in Egypt and has brought him to be ruler over the land of Egypt, to be as a father, he says, to Pharaoh himself it's because of these two things and primarily the second that god was bigger than the act that brought forgiveness in his heart he realized that god was up to something so when the moment came he didn't have to wonder anymore but god but joseph gave forgiveness right then you know we do that with the people we love i I remember learning this lesson uh, with my parents uh when i was uh I just, in fact, gotten toward the last year or so of college. It took me that long to figure out that sometimes I needed to ask forgiveness from my parents. All right? Those of you with kids understand that. They're not going to ask you forgive them. They're not going to tell you that they're sorry. They're just going to keep on sinning and, and they're going to keep on going. And you will punish them, correct them. But you're not going to wait on their confession for you to love them. And to forgive them. I remember there's a time I lived away from home for several years. Came back. Had a little bit of time with them. We were on a trip together. And I realized that I was just acting like a jerk to them. Yeah, we do that sometimes. And I, I was doing that with them. And I was being grumpy. And angry. And it dawned on me later on when I was by myself. I thought, you know what? I didn't treat any of my friends that I lived with like this. But I treat my parents like this. I thought, man, I might have to apologize to them. And that was hard. I'd never done that before. And so I came up to mom and dad, and I thought, man, well, at least maybe they'll be impressed on my maturity, you know. <laughs> Can't even forget, ask for forgiveness, right, you know. And so I said, you know, I, I'm sorry, mom and dad. I, I realized that I was just being selfish, and I was not treating you well. I wasn't appreciating you taking me on this trip. And mom and dad said, oh, we had already forgiven you of that. Like, what? What? You can't do that. You mean you can do that? And I realized that that's how they've had to deal with me. They had to have forgiven me. Because it took me 21 years for me to ask for forgiveness. And if you're holding up on loving someone and forgiving them, Until they confess, you're not going to love very well. Love understands this, knows this, and says, I will extend to you forgiveness, though you not ask. Well, we've got some hang-ups with that. We think, well, you know, if that's true, then maybe they're going to get away. Are they going to get away with the sin? If I forgive them? (laughs) Well, you've assumed all along that you were their judge, didn't you? Because you forgive them does not mean that, that, that justice is no longer going to be uh, served. See, so you're trusting in God to be the judge. He is the one that does the vengeance. And, and that's what Joseph acknowledges in chapter 50. We'll look at that later on. But it is a matter of worship for you. Uh, when you are sinned against, you have a, a platform, an arena in which you can worship God like you could not do before. And perhaps maybe even more deep 
and worship of God. To understand God is the judge and I am not. And I will trust him with any justice that he may give. And one day we may have to deal with the fact that God may forgive that person of that sin. And that may be the hardest thing you do. That may be the hardest thing you do. But it will show you exactly the wrath of God on Jesus. When you realize that God's forgiven them of that sin. Those of you who've dealt with this know what I'm talking about. But listen. Your ability to forgive. Is something God does in your life. You can't muster it up. It is God that does that. God did it in Joseph's life. Before it ever came. You know we try to do that. We try to make people forgive. And, and, and apologize. We do that with our kids, don't we? Our, our kids, you know, if you have uh, more than one child, inevitably what will happen is one of them will do something terrible against the other person. And, uh, you know, we're at that stage, you know. I'm thinking, who taught you this? How is it you did such a cruel thing and such a mean and spiteful thing to your sibling? Julie, did you teach that? No. You know, and I'm just disgusted. And I know it comes back to me. I mean, this is in my nature. I remember doing some heinous things to my sister. And I'll go up to him and say, You better tell me sorry. <laughs> if you don't tell me sorry right now, you're going to get it, you know? <laughs> and they come up to the other one and say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> just like, and they try to do it in the most mean expression way. I'm, I'm trying to do biblical things and, um, I had one washing the feet of the other one one time. You know? That's what pastors do, you know? I said, you're, you're going to tell me your story. You're going to wash her feet. You know? And she, you know, I watched outside the window. And <laughs> there was not a spirit of joy about it, a spirit of humility and peace. I was like, man, yeah, I'm just glad she didn't do it too hard, you know? But you can't make someone forgive. You can't make someone forgive you. And you can't make yourself forgive someone. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing that with my kids. Because I want to teach them. And maybe God will work through that at some point. But it is a work of God. You may be at the point where, Pastor, I'm hearing you, but I'm not listening. (laughs) I don't want, and that's the thing, we do not want to forgive. But I'm going to ask you. Are you tired yet. Of the effect of unforgiveness. Are you tired of the effect. It may be. That your challenge today. Is to say this. God. I want to want to. I want to want to. Can you do that in my heart. You see. Unforgiveness is toxic. As a town in the state of Washington with millions of gallons of radioactive atomic waste being stored in huge underground tanks. The only problem is that tanks have a life expectancy of 20 or 30 years. But the toxic waste in them will remain deadly for about 600 years. That's what unforgiveness is. It is toxic. It will ruin our heart. It will ruin our peace. It will ruin our love. 
So don't wait on them to repent. You do no help for yourself or for God if you're waiting on that. You need to forgive. We need to forgive. Do you know that 80% of all murders are committed by people who have some relationship with the victims? <laughs> Lesson there is don't know anybody. You know, that, that's the thing. We, we, whom we know, whom we love, we will lash out in anger. Somebody gets angry. There's a gun or knife handy and a tragic results. According to the hospital records, innumerable parents have inflicted serious injuries upon their small children in fits of temper. One authority estimates that 60,000 children a year in America are beaten to death. That more children under five years of age are killed by their parents than die of disease. Anger. Trying to control. Unforgiveness. Besides hurting others, anger is killing us. Suppressed anger, bitterness, or eating away at our health and peace of mind. Research indicates that unprocessed anger can produce all sorts of physical disorders. Dr. Leah Maddow in his book, Anger, suggests that these physical problems range all the way from arthritis to asthma, from urinary disorders to the common cold. And we've known for a long time that anger and unresolved issues of forgiveness can cause serious emotional disorders when they're not handled effectively. We need to forgive. But listen, not just because we need to, like I've alluded to before, it is how... You can best worship God. It is a a worship issue. If you do not forgive, you are not worshiping God in that relationship. You are creating, creating an idol and worshiping it. And what is that idol? It is none other than your own moral superiority. They don't deserve forgiveness. It has nothing to do with them. It has something to do with you being forgiven by God. Let me just bring to your attention that the New Testament states over and over and over again that forgiving others is the linchpin of us walking with God. It is the main characteristic of walking with God. In fact, Jesus said, how will they know you? They will know you by your love. Matthew 5, verse 43 and 45 Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We are to love and pray for those who most mistreat us. Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. How about that? It says that this is a linchpin of your salvation. How could that be? Listen, if we are looking at the sins of someone else and saying we will not forgive them, we cannot forgive them, then we do not see the beggar of a soul that we ourselves are. And that we desperately need the forgiveness of God. And it's because of God's forgiveness to us that we are not morally superior at all. But as Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. They are bankrupt. How can we go on in moral superiority and not forgive someone else? It speaks to our pride. And pride is the one Thing that keeps us from bowing our knee before Jesus. 
So yes, Jesus says, you don't forgive someone else? That shows you're not a child of God. First John says, we know that we are children of God because we love the brethren. If that love is not there, then the spirit of love is not in our heart. It has been so quenched, so denied. How can we say that God reigns when there is unforgiveness in our heart? And he is the God of love and the God of mercy. Ephesians 4 verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Which is the measurement of how we are to forgive. And Matthew 18. Jesus is bringing out the idea of, of correcting and disciplining another uh, brother or sister in Christ. And Peter comes up with a great question. Let me read to you this question. Verse 21, Matthew 18. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as hmm, seven times. I'm being generous. Which was beyond what most did at that time. And Jesus blew him out of the water and said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, stop counting. It's not a measure of counting. If you're counting, that's not forgiveness. And he go to, went on to describe a story in which a, a man was in great debt to a king. And the king forgave him and then consequently threw a fellow worker in for just a few dollars worth of debt. He said that's how absurd it is when we do not forgive someone else. But let's keep on reading here. He talks about what, what Joseph has done, done here. Explained, he says, I want you to come down to me. Don't tarry. You're going to dwell in the land of Goshen. You're going to be near me. We're going to be living together. Our children's children are going to be living together, which is why <laughs> repentance was important. Because if the brothers weren't repentant, there was no reconciliation here. He wouldn't want them living near him. So l- listen, when I say that forgiveness is there, it does not mean there will not be consequences. You as a parent understand that when you forgive your children, you will forgive your children, you will still correct them. You will still uh, do whatever means you, you choose to correct them. So too, if you forgive someone, does not mean that there will not be consequences. In your pursuit of reconciliation, which forgiveness will do, you will pursue reconciliation with repentance. There will be consequences. And so Joseph had done that with his brothers and seen the repentance that is there. And so he says, I'm, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. He says, you must tell my father all my honor in Egypt. And he goes and displays the honor that's been given to him. And he finds his brother Benjamin, which is his biological brother. All the others were half-brothers. And and weeps with him. He had not seen his flesh and blood in 20-some years. He was a little boy. And so, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers came to please Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh said, I, you, you can do this. Take care of this. I'll give you the best of the land. Notice verse 20, have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land in Egypt is yours. What a wonderful statement. Would you love someone saying that to you? I mean, this is kind of like Bill Gates and the president all rolled up in one. You know, I said, I love your, I love Joseph and you're a brother of him. I'll take care of you. For the rest of your days, you don't have to worry about money. Wow. That's what was being offered to him. And so notice the, the load of stuff they got. He got the donkeys. He got change of clothes. Gave all of the change of clothes, which is a good thing because they tore up their clothes 
and weeping over, over Benjamin. So he gave him uh, the Egyptian uh, duds, the Egyptian cotton, the Egyptian linen, whatever it may be. He had, I don't know, croc- crocodile, Justin Murphy sandals. I don't know. Some, you know, he had the best of what was going on. And they're walking back. And to his father, he sent ten donkeys, good things, ten female donkeys, grain, bread, provision. Uh, gave him money, 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes to Benjamin. And, <laughs> don't you love verse 24? That's just so realistic. Verse 24. Hey, okay, you guys know. Road trip plus family equals. All right. It says, don't quarrel on your way. He knew his brothers. He knew they've changed, but not that much. And they're going to start quarreling. Hey, Benjamin, I've got so much stuff. And then someone's going to be saying, Reuben said to the others, I told you guys you shouldn't have done that to Joseph. And here we are. You know, and they start bickering back and forth. And he says, I don't want this. I, I struggled whether or not to preach this passage for Mother's Day. And there's not a mention of a mom in here. But the heartbeat of a mother is. And wanting harmony, family, unity. And here you've got that. It's going to require forgiveness. It's going to require repentance. He says, don't quarrel on the way. And they come to dear old dad. Joseph's still alive. And he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And it says in verse 26, his heart became numb. It sounds like a, he may have had a mild heart attack. For he did not believe them. I mean, think about it. He, is, he has determined for 25 years, once he got word of Joseph missing, he assumed that he was killed. And he told himself, according to the scripture, I will not find comfort. For 25 years, he has been determined in his grief not to find comfort, not to find hope. He has lost his relationship with the Lord in many ways. He no longer operates out of faith, but out of fear. And he realized, wow, for 25 years, I've been living this way about God, and I didn't even know what God did. God actually was taking care of my son. For 25 years, I've been thinking of this about God. And living this way, his heart became numb. He realized that the wasted years. And the fact of the matter is, Jacob realized that he had been viewing life incompletely. And guess what? That's how all of us are. We view life incompletely. And once we get a better picture of what God has done, I think our reaction may be much similar. And so, what happens The spirit of their father Jacob revived. His faith had been dead. His spirit had been dead. And there is a resurrection of sorts that occurs in his spirit. And notice in verse 28, the name changes. It goes back to the name that God had given him, Israel. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I love the fact that that Joseph is sharing his glory. I mean, it's not like Joseph typically, but it seems like he is just bringing out all the things that he's got. He says, look how God's blessed me. Look at these donkeys, these clothes, these gold and silver and grain, and I want to take care of you. Look at all that I've got. And I want to share it with you. I think about that with Jesus Christ. I think Jesus did something similar to that. These brothers, you imagine, they're walking around, they got the nice Egyptian cotton, whatever the fabric may be. You look on the sleeve. You don't see Reuben's name monogrammed on the sleeves. It's got Joseph written on it. Hey, I thought your name was Reuben. Oh, it is. Well, how come your sleeve says Joseph? Oh, these were clothes given to me by Joseph. You see, I treated my brother rotten. I sold him. 
<laughs> but God did such a wonder, a wondrous thing. And Joseph life that he's forgiven me and he has given me the clothes and all the clothes you see me wear from now on. They're his given to me. He shared his glory with me. Jesus sees us and we have lived our life selfishly, lived it for ourselves with no consideration of God or what he wants or who he is. And yet he has extended and forgiveness has been in his heart, has been waiting for you with sacrifice. Jesus Christ died on the cross paying the penalty of our sins so that if we would but confess our sins, repent of our sins, reconciliation waits to occur. And he shares his glory. John 17 verse 1 through 5, Jesus prays this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The glory that you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So if you would acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he says, I want to share with you the peace of God. I want to share with you the love of God and let it shed abroad in your heart. I want to share with you the joy of God. I want to share with you the kindness of God, the strength of God. This is part of his glory. He shares it with you. And when you walk around, people will say, how is it that you have a hope? How is it that you have a joy in your life when, when circumstances are so rotten? How is it there is a love when there are so many unlovely people around you? How can you have peace when circumstances are, are troubled? How can you have kindness when it's hard to do? You say, oh, Jesus just shared with me his glory. And when someone asks you, how could you find it in your heart to forgive someone? You say, I couldn't. I couldn't find it in my heart. But I asked God one day to change my heart. And I took it by faith. And I started acting by faith. And wouldn't you know it? God did an amazing thing. And I forgave him. I was talking with, the, with a man this morning in the first service. And he was talking about, you know, it's an exhilarating thing to be on the other side of this and to learn to forgive. It's a pure joy and exhilaration compared to with the drudgery. Of unforgiveness. I just want to invite you this morning. To ask God to change your heart. To say God. I want to forgive someone. Will you help me forgive? Or maybe. God. I want to want to. I'm so hardened in my sin. And so hardened in this person's sin against me. I don't want to forgive. But God. I realize now it's killing me. I want that to change. Can you change that? You'd be amazed at what God can do. I dare you to ask. I invite you to come forward this morning even. And stand or to kneel here and say, God, change my heart for forgiveness.